podcast ain't played nobody. It's an all hashtag ask PAPN postseason episode. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter if you want to. And it's the off season. I thought about deleting Twitter entirely. Um, my co-host today is, of course, Richard Johnson at RJ underscore writes. We were budless this week, but we are going to dig through some of the hashtag ask PAPN that we've uh, we've seen you guys posting on various platforms um, and we found a couple we like. Uh, Richard, I still feel like we're very much in decompression mode from the end of the season, but uh, the offseason is when this show really shines. It sure is, man. I made uh, made some waffles for the lady friend this weekend. Uh, I believe I will uh, be trying my hand at biscuits, so we'll be getting that right. I uh, imported wow. some white lily flour from... Uh, from God's country, the South. I was about to say, how in the hell did you get that? Yeah, in buddy. Amazon.com. Wow. Sometimes Jeff Bezos does provide. Um, um, so, yeah, I am enjoying my offseason already. We're off to a good start. It's funny you bring that up because you do a lot of the cooking stuff on your Instagram feed. No, wait. Yeah, you do it. Well, maybe. You do it on your private Instagram for on, your friends, but. On the private Instagram for friends, maybe, maybe we'll be coming to a Banner Society Instagram uh, near you soon. We'll, we'll see. We'll that's see. What I, so that, this is what I was going to ask about. It's, it, it, look, I love everybody who listens to this show. That's great. Thanks. Got the mortgage paid this month. But. If you're in now in late January and you're itching for a PAPN, it means that you are a proper uh, self-respecting or respectless junkie. Yeah, you can pick And the junkies, the junkies are the ones who kind of turn the wheel for us. And God bless you. Maybe I should relabel it, maybe like congregation. I don't know. Junkie would be the truth. Anyway, I would like to pull the hardcores, the addicts, if you will. Do we continue, uh, let's see, Instagram for olds. IG for olds, I think was my actual hashtag. And the fact that I forgot the hashtag, I think really actually sort of completes the gimmick of it being Instagram for olds. I'm thinking about com- like continuing that in the off season. No, I think you should you- live IG, like live IG your, uh, your daughter's like yeah. newborn kind of progression. I think oh, people the birth, know the tips you there. Not of the actual birth. I'm talking about okay, like, I was gonna say, when you bring you were her just home. In, yeah. You were just in Nashville. And if you were to, to vouch for if you were promoting a live IG, of uh, the birth, uh, my wife would hunt you down. No, I'm still the favorite. I'll always be the favorite. This is true. This is true. I don't know. It's kind of a J. I, I don't know. I think you and Jason are secretly tied. She is convinced that Jason Kirk is the funniest of the entire Banner Society. I think she's the sweetest on you. Um, but I will say this: she's never met Alex Kirshner. That's true. And uh, everybody listening to this podcast will note that uh, she doesn't listen to this podcast, so we can say whatever the hell we want. Yeah, it, it, I think it has a way of boomeranging back to her, mainly through Ryan Nanny, because he is a snitch. Um, all right, Richard, we plucked a couple. I would uh, I would start by with a little bit of a mea culpa. We have done periodic fundraisers before using hashtag AskPAPN. We got to get a little more organized because in like week one, week two, week two, we did a fundraiser for a family who lost both parents from the LSU Georgia Southern game. I just did it kind of, I, I was putting my kids to bed one night. And if you're a parent, you know that moment where you're like waiting for them to fall asleep. You're either like outside the door or whatever. And you're on your phone. I saw all this news happen. I saw that there was a GoFundMe. So I threw something up. We did a quick one. The problem was not everyone sent their donation receipts to the same place. So I had a very, very nice, very calm listener, calmer than I would be, 
Uh, his name's Adam Blomke, and he had submitted, he was very generous and gave like over, he gave $130. That's crazy. Plus the tip amount, which I think just goes to GoFundMe, um, to this family. And then his question just basically got lost in the wash. By the way, also, if you're a PAPN listener, my DMs on Twitter are open mainly for, I'll be honest, for like reporting reasons. If you DM me on there, chances are you're spitting into the wind. Yeah, we um, don't have to get organized. You have to get organized. Well, no, I feel bad about this because people, I'm always like, hey, reach out, reach out, reach out. The hashtag on Twitter, ask, hashtag AskPAPN, this feels very much like a house cleaning episode. And it kind of is because, again, decompression, we're slowly shifting our bones into off-season mode. Use the hashtag. It's almost better than DMing me because I get a lot of weird DMs. And also, I think if you are a verified account with open DMs, the bots find you faster because I get sure the do. weirdest yeah, I get a lot of like bot links and stuff that are mixed in there as well as, you know, a lot of Mississippi State fans telling me to rot in hell, you know, the usual. Um, okay, so we're going to start as a mea culpa to Adam. And what's neat about this is when you're so bad at your job as I am and so unorganized that a question that Adam asked way back in September has actually shifted sort of into like newsworthiness. And here's why. He wants us to talk about North Dakota State and the difficulties they face in moving from FCS to FBS, geographically, financially, et cetera. Now, when I was DMing with Adam, he also brought up the fact that, hey, you know what? They are playing, um, let's see, they've got Oregon as an opener next year, right? Um, he's There's basically a bunch of Pac-12 games that they're looking at scheduling. Adam was kind of just pushing his question along very politely, I might add, and saying, hey, is this, is this some sort of audition or tryout for the Pac-12? I know a lot of people are looking at the Pac-12 as more of an expansion candidate than the Big 12, um, and I want to be really delicate on how we do this, okay, because this is PAPN, and we are the home to every every version of fandom is good, right, and equal in my eyes. I am wearing Atlanta Falcons apparel right now in January. Go Jazz. Um, yeah, this is a sorry-ass NFL podcast. Um, no, North Dakota State would not be considered for expansion for the Pac-12, and I'm going to be honest with you, that's probably a good thing. Um, I How, think what Adam is getting. Do you know? Do you know about North Dakota State, like academically? Like, I'm not trying to condescend to North Dakota State, but what I am saying is, right. I mean, it's it's some hitters academically in the Pac-12. I mean, that's part of the problem here, if you want to call it uh, a problem, the fact that they're not making the playoff. So one of the big things that tri- that trips a lot of programs up, and was sort of a sticky situation. Uh, in, in the radical realignment of going on, what, 10 years ago it started. We'll call it the LHN-inspired realignment. I don't know. The Pac-12 and the Big Ten, as Richard said, have higher academic standards, or at least they purport to. Uh, simultaneous to that, they are also secretly doing what every other conference is doing, which is they're trying to figure out what the best television market is for the best amount of potential revenue. Okay, So don't get it twisted. Even the Big Ten, it tells you all the time about, like, you know, it's got to be a certain prestige level of university. They're they're also they're not going to take the University of Chicago. Okay, I know they don't have a football team anymore. Please don't at me. Um, yeah, Matt Brown it's a is combination in of your factors. ass. Yeah, I know. I'm super pissed. Shout out. Um, the uh, the situation for North Dakota State is tricky, uh, mainly because the entry point would be a Group of Five program. Okay, so I want you to stay with me. By the way, if you're just looking at numbers right now, North Dakota State, they just won another national championship. They are as dominant a program at whatever level you want to call it of any college sport that you can be. They are more dominant than Saban's Alabama. They are more dominant than Tom Osborne's Nebraska. They're no Mount Union, but they're close. 
they they are reducing the FCS playoffs to a joke. And I don't mean that insultingly. They're just that good. They're that consistent of a program. They're losing head coaches and continuing to do this. It is very much it is very much wake me up in January when North Dakota State is playing likely James Madison. They're going they're, they're going to Frisco, which by the way, an aside from an aside. Did you watch any of that SCS championship? And did you feel bad for a program like North Dakota State? Because they're in Fargo. And I'm just, as a weather-averse individual like myself, because we're both Southerners. I was actually, I was actually on a plane. I landed and okay. watched the last drive, basically. Um, you were, like, you were coming the here for, for the conference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's my thing. Yeah, but if it, you're going to be North Dakota State, why, why can't we play that game in like Miami for those guys? Right. Right. Like Frisco. I mean, it's not even actually Dallas. Like, come on. I do. Yeah. No, it's it's not Dallas. It's, north, it's northeast of Dallas, and it is cold as shit every January. This is one of the things that people sleep on. Houston and Dallas are different climates, okay? Yeah, North Texas Dallas, is icy and cold. Oh, man, one of the coldest times of my life at a football game was that that national championship game going to and from that week, the Oregon-Ohio State, just because it was, oh, it's pissing ice all week. It was awful. Um, yeah, so anyways, better weather for NDSU. Okay. I don't know right now if the culture and the excitement and the prestige and the national attention and getting college game, I don't know if any of that translates if they go in and even if they go into the group of five, Richard, and they start kicking ass. You and by the way, kicking- to become use App, App State is inc- an incredible story, really fun, but you cease to become the novelty when Correct. you come up. Um, that that the shine that North Dakota State has enjoyed, rightfully so, will go away. You become a small fish in a big pond. Now, obviously, App State has won, so that you know keeps a lot of it. Um, Liberty, um, <laughs> huh? Um, Liberty has done some things to keep itself in the limelight, both with its own staffing decisions and um, its. Let's call it non-football stories. Um, so Liberty is kind of another case. But if North Dakota State comes up, what happens to North Dakota State? Particularly if they don't win. If they don't come up and win, then really what happens? So here's what you're looking at. You're looking at a non-desirable television market that's small. It's in the middle of America. Again, I'm not saying this with an opinion. I'm not saying this objectively. I'm looking more of the, more of the objective evaluation that a television network and a conference office are going to give. So please don't at me. I'm not trying to shit on this program. Um, Their athletic budget is right around $25 million. Obviously that would change if they moved up. But again, this is not an overachiever in terms of finances either. What they've done is remarkable. What they do is remarkable. And I think they're wonderful for college football. Also, God God bless it. But you think Texas is going to be thrilled to go to the Fargo Dome? No. Um, 25,000 people. They ain't gonna cut it, Richard. If they upset Oregon, it wouldn't shock me. It really wouldn't. Okay. No, but I, I. So I want to ask you this, and maybe maybe this is a this is a question that I should be posing to coaches. But you can do it once. You can beat a Kansas State. You can beat an Iowa. You can do this once, twice a year. Can you do it seven, eight times? That's that's the difference, right? So this is the newsworthiness part of it. Boise State uh, has uh, their dander up. And they, they probably should, honestly. The Mountain West just negotiated a new TV deal. And then this is this is one of those kind of currently evolving stories. So as you listen to this, it might have wrinkled in a different way. But um, as of, what, 
yesterday or two days ago as we record this, Boise State was actually suing the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, Conference, buddy. All right, I, I, we're not allowed to call it a lawsuit, actually. The Mountain West says it's not a lawsuit. It's just a complaint. But yeah. for all intents and purposes. Um, the gist of that, and I don't want to, I don't want to take a, a North Dakota State question turn into a Boise topic. But the gist of that being the that the Broncos are a bigger, more valuable, more successful, more powerful entity than pretty much anything else in the Mountain West Conference. And the MWC needs them. I do think that they need the MWC a little bit more than they realize in certain cases. Um, but you're stuck. There is a weird ceiling here. There is a there are often punishments for overachieving in this sport, and I don't know of any other situation comparable to that in athletics. I'm sure it might exist in some some realms of of like soccer in different leagues across the world. But Boise State, North Dakota State, they become these wonderful little foibles that we we treasure, and and in a very PAPN way, I think the sport lifts up and blue turf and Fargo Dome and game day goes there. We all think it's cool. The problem is there is no ascension. There, there, there is no pattern. There is no blueprint for taking the next step. If anything else, you just, you just live as an outlier. We see this with service academies too. The so- we see this. The, uh, we see the soccer one to one you're looking for is, uh, is Celtic Celtic FC absolutely runs shit in the Scottish premier league. And then yes. like, doesn't typically do much in European competition. Wonderful. Thank you. I knew that. I was just testing you. Of course. Um, this is uh, this is the sad reality. Now, I, I never want to cut off the ambition either for these fan bases because I do think that you should overachieve. I think what F- what 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 FCS uh, owner North Dakota State is doing right now, Richard. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Is probably the best thing that they can do, which is. They haven't made, as far as we know, any serious legal or financial overtures into exploring FBS transition, right? So they are where they are, but they are scheduling as aggressively, if not better and more um, more aspirational than some big-time G5 programs because they do open at Oregon next year. They are scheduling as much as they humanly can. They are, they are putting themselves in situations to be talked about. And right now, I'm curious if that's the best that they can do. Or, you know, I I come at this having grown up a Georgia Southern fan. And when they transitioned over, they, you know, they have, they they beat Florida and everybody turns that into something bigger than it actually was because it was a bad season for them. They didn't even get to go to the playoffs after that. Their best season in FBS, they weren't allowed to go to a bowl. Because again, it's a transition period. And ever since then, they've been fine. They've been fine, but... And let me tell you this, if you're an NDSU fan listening, and then we'll move on. You guys know Georgia Southern because you used to play each other in the playoffs a lot. They used to be big-time playoff rivals. I don't know if Statesboro feels the same way about going to the Cure Bowl or going to the Camellia Bowl or going to whatever one of those bowls are a week and a half before Christmas and winning as they do about winning an FCS national championship. I, I honestly don't know because what has Georgia Southern done on a notable national level since they since they they did upset a really really bad Florida team and transition up. North Dakota you State lose. fans, you love Frisco and if you do, do I have a NovaCare Home Loans Arizona Bowl for you? <laughs> <laughs> on it's pretty fucking bad. Facebook or whatever it is. Um that's that is what I'm afraid of for NDSU because I've seen it happen to Georgia Southern and I mean, now, you know, like I, I talk to people in Statesboro and they're like, well, we got to get back to where we were. And I was like, that's not, that's, that's not, not where happening. you were, bro. Right. That's not how, like, it's the same as the Rutgers argument. They're like, we need to be back to where we were, Dom. And I was like, no, you, 
were successful for a small period of time in a conference that doesn't exist anymore that that had uh, overvalued uh, importance in the pecking order because the Big East was a BCS member and they probably shouldn't have been. Um, okay. What, I, I, very, very quickly. This is hard to leave on a positive note. I I, <laughs> very, very quickly. If there is a potential splinter in Power 5 coming in the next 5, 10, 15 years, you know, would it behoove North Dakota State maybe to stick around because they may get some brands that end up either dropping down or being dropped down if the Power 5 completely splinters or if FBS, you know, you know what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, the bottom line is that in terms of football quality, I do believe that North Dakota State is is only losing like that. You know, of course, everybody's sitting there in SEC country and being myopic and saying, "Well, move them up to FBS; they'll lose five games a year." Uh, dude, I'll be honest with you: if this North Dakota State program of the last five to six years was in the American Athletic Conference right now, they would be close to the top. They would not be losing a ton of games flat out. They would probably lose anywhere from one to three a season these last couple years because. I know everybody wants to say, "Hey, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get grinded up, ground ground up, ground up a little bit more often." But this is a team that plays more games because they're in the playoff. They don't show signs of that. Um, I think if they were in the American, they'd do well. But again, what does a nine what does a nine and three team do in the American? Like, I actually uh, don't even. I, I don't even think from a physical perspective. I don't think that it's. I don't think it's getting run the hell over as much as it's just getting run by run pat like I, it's a speed thing yes that's it's a very a good point thing. and and i think their their issues would not lie with anyone other than like central florida and memphis and programs like that but the reason i say that is because what is their what is their proxy it's navy right navy and the american and i i've sat in in those coaching offices at navy where they said look you know we wanted to be in the american we didn't want to be an independent but damn like Memphis is talented. UCF yeah. is talented. Yeah. And you know what they you know what they mean when they say talent? That's code for fast. Yes. yes. Talent talent means fast. Um, all right. Let's move on. God bless you, North Dakota State. Please. Oh man, I really don't want this show to run afoul of that fan base. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Whew. Clearing the register. Uh, I'm going to do this one real fast. James Hicks wanted to point out, hashtag SPAPN. So does the PAPN preseason interview lead to success that year? Um, what James is referring to is the fact that right before we ref- reformatted the show and Bill left, I did a series of interviews on the road before the season started. I would like to point out right now that if you are a coach listening to this, you need to talk to PAPN, and here is why. Are you ready for this? Give it to me. Okay. We talked to Luke Fickle. Cincinnati, where uh, they won the East. They won 11 games. We talked to Sean Lewis, Kent State, 7-6 and six record, first bowl win in program history, first winning record since 2012. All right? We talked to Nick Rolovic. What happened to him? He got the Wazoo job. He's in the Power 5 now. He got off the island. We kingmakers, baby. Did I interview Mike Bobo? Yeah. We don't have to talk about Who's that. Who's to say? I don't know. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, and All right. Let's jump over. Um Man, here's the deal. I picked through a bunch of fun, easy questions for transition. Richard took the toughest part of the stay here. So I just want to jump into this one because the rest of them won't be as intricate as this. Ready? At R Monk 2881. 
Guys, I'm seeing that Gus, Gus Malzahn, is handing the play calling to Chad Morris. This is at Auburn, obviously. Isn't Morris's system different than Gus's? I imagine that there are similarities, but I thought Morris's version of the spread was more pass-oriented. Hashtag ask PAPN. Richard, Auburn's changing play callers again. Sure. Um, I, I think it's going to be – I think you're going to see more of a graft on than you are going to see a complete and total change. From a running game perspective, Auburn ran a lot more – I'm going to call it conventional runs – this year, from what I noticed, than in years past. There was less of the buck sweep, which is, you know, less of like a, a – there are less guys pulling is what I'm trying to say. And it was more straightforward, like inside zone type runs um, from Auburn this season, uh, particularly because they aren't really involving the quarterback in the run game with Bo Nix. Um, I, I think if Gus is trying to transition – kind of away from that given his personnel I think Chad is is a good get um Bo Nix came on a little bit in the late season as a passer um got a little bit better I, I think that Chad's system Chad th- their offenses are not that different but Chad has more of a receiver friendly offense um than Gus does if you're calling it on balance. Chad has more Chad has more air raid-ish passing spread concepts than I think Gus does. Um the the heart of both of them lie in tempo manipulation. It's not fast tempo all the time. It's fast tempo when they want to be or when they need to be. Um to keep your personnel va- uh, vanilla uh and and so that you can't sub but from a personal standpoint, Chad Morris has been following Gus Malzahn basically since he came in the game. Um, high school coach, Tulsa, Arkansas, you know, high-level um, high coordinator at a high-level school that, that gets to a national championship game or gets in spitting distance, I guess, of a national championship game when they were 10-2, and 11-1 and at, at Clemson with Chad at the wheel. Um so this is going to be an interesting schematic marriage. Now, if Gus is giving control to Chad, uh, Gus is probably going to be pretty happy with what Chad is going to bring. Uh, you know, I don't think the Chip Lindsay thing actually worked out, and <clears throat> I think Rhett Lashley is not there because I think they were too aligned, and I don't think Rhett was ever going to be able to put really his true stamp, whatever that may be, on the offense. Um, and so what does Gus do now? What does Auburn do now? Is this going to be a fire Gus year or is this going to be a let's keep Gus year? Um, you're the guy with the pulse on that. Ooh, is it a fire Gus or a keep Gus year? Well, it's always both, which I think is fair to say, right? Right. Um, this, this year was a fire Gus year until it wasn't. This was a really quiet fire hire or fire keep Gus year. I was really disappointed in Auburn not being as well, bad shit they as also we, got we good. expect. Like, they were good. Very weird. I know, but I'm very disappointed because it was like it was. It, it, it's like if there was that one house in the neighborhood where you knew like it was just total insanity all the time, like some sort of like raucous party, and it was actually more self-contained, a little bit more put together. That's a really that's kind of a nice, clean, boring metaphor for what I was headed. But like, you want fireworks, and it was actually sort of very tasteful. Um, everything matched. You know, nothing was on fire. <sighs> I don't know. Um, they, they have a sort of non-con. I mean, it is technically a non-con because it's at Mercedes-Benz. It's in week two, by the way, which I thought was weird, uh, against North Carolina, a very winnable game. Then they have their usual schedule. I don't see... Yeah, Auburn's going to be pretty good next year. 
Yeah, I don't, I, I don't see that early season holy shitness that happens. Also, I would like to point yeah, out... because they're not playing um, Clemson. Well, here's the strange part. They're not playing Clemson. Um, you know, we're going to do an entire scheduling week at Banner Society. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out publicly on Front Street. Um, but I spend so much of January and February just looking at schedules, and part of it's anticipation, and part of it's just kind of how we exist and all this stuff. Like, it's a long off-season, and... We all like to armchair everything, but can we just talk for a second? I'm going to go ahead and answer your question, Richard, by asking why is Auburn playing LSU on November 21st in 2020? Wow. They're not going to have a fire gush here. Here's why, Richard. It's This is their this is their opening slate, chronologically. Ready? Starting September 5th, Alcorn State, North Carolina and Atlanta, at Ole Miss, home for Southern Miss, home for Kentucky, at Georgia, October tenth. What? What? Hmm. Why is that game not the week before Thanksgiving? That's an oddity. What? What? Uh, I must feel like. One. I mean, I would never say this about my beloved FBSchedules.com, but wait, did you guys get that wrong? What? What's going on here, guys? Um, and then after that, they're home for A and M. So, if they got absolutely mollywhomped by Georgia, okay. But I don't think that's going to happen, is it? I, I, it's going to take me a while to get a beat on Georgia. It's a January just, question. You can give me. It's a January question. You can give me a January answer. I, I have no idea. I don't know if this offense is how this offense is going to look. If Jamie Newman is going to come into Georgia and they're going to really turn it on and and flip a switch and become what they should have been. Um, with the running quarterback and, and a modernized offense. We will see what Georgia will be. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm completely shook because I, I pulled the schedule up real fast to talk about, like, we, we do this every year on PAP where it's like, all right, when, when, is, when will Auburn become unmoored? And this schedule is just, what is the league office doing? I mean, LSU-Auburn is very much a signal of the end of September. Auburn-Georgia between the hedges, like, or not to be between the hedges, but like, you know, South Soldiers rivalry, blah, 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 blah. It's always before they play Alabama. Like, come on, guys, do better. This is this is just disorienting. I don't like it. So let's go ahead and say it's a keep gush year. How's that? All right. Open quote. It's, Stephen Godfrey says there is zero well, chance. Gus Malzahn is they, big but fire. But they could also go, but they could also go in and they could go in and perception could be that, let's say LSU, there's no let's say, LSU is in a reload mode, re, re, rebuild, I don't, Whatever. Yeah, but then they could also lose. But what North if they Carolina, lose that game to LSU up by Lane Kiffin, get stomped by Georgia, or lose to to a Jimbo Fisher A and M who may actually be good next year, and they come out of that stretch in the bye week October twenty fourth, and they're three and three or three and four. If you would like to talk about the Lane or some Kiffin amalgamation vol- five and two whatever, the Lane Kiffin volatility. This is the first time I've wanted to talk about my alma mater's football team and like. A decade. Ashes to ashes, um, dusted us. We've arrived at Mississippi. It's what uh, twenty minutes in. No, but here's what I want to say. I don't really care about Ole Miss as it relates to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, with the top end talent and the lack of depth, is good to basically explode in the face of two good teams next year, and then also lose. <laughs> Ole Miss plays UConn, by the way. Like they're gonna lose. They're gonna lose to. They're gonna lose at Vandy. All right. And they're definitely they're going to lose at Arkansas because by then Sam Pittman will have figured out how to like slow the football game down to three possessions. So they're or oh Georgia Southern they're going to lose to Georgia Southern, but they are also going to scare and possibly beat an Auburn, a Florida, one of these teams. 
so, like at Texas A&M, Ole Miss is not going to be any more or less successful on the aggregate than they were with Bat Luke. I just think they're going to be infinitely more enjoyable and violent and upsetting to the rest of the division, and that's what we want. Moving right. on. So Auburn's only either seven and zero or two and five. That's every year that I've that we've been doing this podcast. That's every year of of Auburn football. Congratulations. War, damn, eagle. Um, at Two Pints JP, frequent question asker. Some coaches seem significantly better at identifying coaching talent than others. Norvell, Graham, Leach, Franklin, Andy Reid in the NFL. Why is that, and how important should that be in making a head coach hire? Well, it should be very important in making a head coach hire, but I don't know if it's necessarily uh, determining factor number one, two, or three. Uh, Richard, would you agree with his list that those people are exceptional at talent identification? Um. Leach debatable, um, Norvell for sure. Um, Norvell, so Norvell and Graham, I think are a little bit different. Um, Norvell is a Norvell is a product of necessity. Uh, Norvell is like, look, my good guys get picked off because I was at Memphis doing well, and now Norvell is in a position of strength where he can go get who he wants. Um, you know, co- there are some coaches who kind of do the. There are some coaches who. To put it simply, coaches sometimes fall into two buckets with staff construction. Either it's the guy who has the same philosophy uh, as me or the guy who I could not beat or who beat my ass or who did something that I, you know, had no idea what was coming. Um, it's funny because Norvell, I like in just one example, Alex Atkins is on Mike Norvell's staff because Alex Atkins at Tulane ran right through Norvell's Memphis team one year. Like that's the reason why Norvell Norvell went home, wrote Alex's name on a on a post-it note, and said, you know, if I ever need, I can. This is a guy on my short list. Alex Atkins was on a short list. Alex Atkins is now offensive line coach of Florida State. Um, Todd Graham is a little bit different because say what you want about Todd Graham. From what I kind of understand, Todd Graham puts on for his assistants in a way that assistants want to go work for Todd Graham. He is very well liked. Again, it's, there's the Bob Stoops theory that we explore, which is your public facing persona, whether you get memed by by people like Banner Society or not, there is a completely different ranking system inside of coaching of guys that you want to work for and guys you absolutely do not. And he is up there Todd, on Now look, Todd Graham will dog cuss friendly you. Friendly work environment. Todd Graham will dog cuss you. But every coach is gonna dog cuss you. But if you can get through you know, if you can deal with it, whatever. Um James is James Franklin is a little bit different because James Franklin is kind of more of that CEO-ish type model to kind of a, I, I don't say figurehead as in he doesn't do anything. I say figurehead as he is the pretty face in front of the school uh, that's front facing and then he's able to kind of evaluate staff and, and pick guys who are more kind of in the weeds coaching. It's, you know, the Coach O Dabo Sweeney model that we talk about a lot here. So the, I think you what you have here is kind of a spectrum of how guys are good at evaluating coaching talent to add to their staff. Um. I think it's interesting. The, I, I know you said not Leach quite as much. Well, because Leach is debatable because of working with and for Leach. I think he definitely gets a boost because of Grinch coming through there. Like, But how long did Grinch stay there? Well, yeah. I mean, I get that. Um, I also think that that, that air raid tree is it's, 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 it's tricky. I will say this. I'm intrigued by the hire of Zach Arnett, the new DC at Mississippi State, who was at Syracuse for like a cup of coffee, came from San Diego State. Um, it'll be very, very interesting. And 
to Richard's point, the one thing that stuck out at me, I kind of watched a little bit of Dave Aranda's hiring press conference at Baylor only because I was so interested to see what a public-facing Dave Aranda looks like. Uh, uh, uncomfortable is the answer. <laughs> and Dave Aranda said the exact same thing about, like, they were asked about offensive philosophy, and he's like, you know, I'm going to start with what I hate as a defensive coordinator, which I thought is uh, extremely simple, but very, very insightful, very smart. And you would be shocked at how many people don't even want to make that concession as a career coordinator on one side of the ball because they all have huge egos. So um, I think selflessness is a, is a really a key factor here. Um, the bottom line is you're not going to stay in a position like uh, let's see on this list that that uh, two points provided. James Franklin at Penn State is probably the person in the highest prestige position other than Andy Reid, obviously, with the Chiefs, which is a different ballgame. I'll kind of isolate that. But James Franklin survives and flourishes at Penn State by um, not cycling through assistance so much as just always having the, the, the right finger on the right pulse, right? Joe Moorhead is probably why he got included on this list, but he's also done a really exceptional job of continuing to rotate through and find people that fit find people that are good situationally to the talent that they can bring in at, at, at school X. And I think that uh, I'm thinking of you, Willie Taggart right now, the more that you abide by your guys, my guys got to have my guys. Um, that may be the new kiss of death when it comes to big time power five jobs. I think and assistant- what, because the last, the one of the, one of the last, um, one of the things that you will notice as the ship is sinking, one of the last things off the ship is your guys, quote unquote. Those are those are the the those are the penultimate firings a lot of the time. Um, the off season before you get canned, it, your your guys, so to speak, uh, go. Uh, we're subtweeting. Uh... We're subtweeting Tom Herman in Texas again. I apologize. Okay, uh, cool. Daniel Rader hashtag. Hashtag <laughs> SBAPN. I, look, Tom, you're not listening, but I, I can. I'll, I'll text him just to. I probably should just randomly weeks later. I thought the double double middle finger was badass. Um, I think it was hilarious. I think it takes the piss out of all that stuff. And the fact he had to apologize for that is just so fucking dumb. Daniel Rader, it's an election year, and soon we'll hear about all the dark money and negative ads. Is there a recruiting equivalent? Do bagmen ever create a pack? to send to mailers <laughs> or ads on local sports talk shows about how other schools are actually bad. Uh, this is absurd and hilarious, uh, but it is rooted in, in reality, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. Um, no, they don't ever actually put their money towards this. There is an insane, ruthless amount of shit-talking, backbiting, whatever, whatever you want to call it, that goes on during peak uh, recruiting periods, you know, before we split signing day, this time right now, January, was when it would just get absolutely apeshit in terms of bizarre rumors, um, you know, message board theories that, that sort of leap off of the message board and into reality. Um, to Daniel, to, to answer, Daniel, answer Daniel's question, no, there's not an official organi- organized monetary effort to discredit. Uh, there is a, an aggressive amount of uh, um, kind of whisper network mentality. So the more um, the more interesting they could one day probably buy billboards or something like that. The more interesting part of this question, I think, is kind of the flip or kind of the inverse, which you can definitely speak to, is when they don't like a coach at their own school when they turn the faucet off. Mm-hmm. That's the more interesting part of it. This is uh this this has killed more than one coach in the Southeastern Conference and the Big Twelve. Um, 
even in the ACC to a degree, um, when the people who do your dirt decide that they're done doing your dirt, uh, you're headed to the dirt. That was, that was good. That's no, that was pretty card. good. Um, it, it's that simple. We've talked about this before on the show. Um, if you if you anger or you you run a, you know you run afoul of those people, um, your sudden your your amazing prowess as a recruiter in state and out is going to take a significant step back. Um, I always love those recruiter of the year awards. I love that shit so much. Yeah, and then and then conversely, oh, you'll you will see with um, recruiter of the year. Let's. I've had I've had multiple people on those top ten lists laugh about that to me. Because I was willing to share with them the fact that we all know the score, and I wasn't going to out them, which is why I've developed those relationships throughout my career. But the idea of a recruiter of the year going in there and preaching like this is what our campus looks like, and these are the academics, <laughs> and that's oh man, our engineering I'm, I'm going, school. Oh, going down a path right now. Okay, um, we got to close out with this, and then I'll explain the short time limit in a second. At college football. Uh, just just type it like I pronounced it. Um, in the age of ever-increasing staffs and monetary commitment, it appears Heritage Hall has little inclination towards football. Yes, success. we are talking about USC again. One more time. Why is that, and what is the potential impact to, to the USC brand and West Coast football as a whole? All right. I asked you before the show why you wanted to do this one again, so you take it. So I, I don't really want to talk about some of the USC stuff that we talked about last week and that we've talked about over and over again. Um, you know, I don't want to treat USC like it's the sun, moon, and stars, but hey, I'm a coastal millennial, so here we go. Um, the interesting part of this question is a thing that I don't know if we brought up on the show or not, but I want to take this sentence. The It appears Heritage Hall has little inclination towards football success. That is what I want to talk about. That's where I want to go. Um, does USC really want to be a national power? Like, do they want, do they actually, does USC in 2020 actually want to do what it takes to do that? Does USC want to build the infrastructure that may attract an Urban Meyer? You know what I'm saying? Like, do they actually want to do that? Like, they fell, again, USC fell into ass first Pete Carroll. Yes. Right, he was not the first option. He wasn't even the third option, was he? I, you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they got a guy who modernized the program at a time when the conference was down, and again had the brand to build off of, and we saw what happened. Ten years on from that, there is, there are things that the organs of the world are doing on the West Coast to build a modern power. Uh, on the West Coast. Is USC going to do those things in light of changing times at the university, um, trying to bring that whole thing into the modern era? Um, You know, do they want to get their hands dirty enough to be national championship good or not? Or good enough? I think the way to look at USC... um and I think the reason why we're so preoccupied with USC is every single thing we heard at convention combined with what we knew and what we saw this season combined with the incredulity uh, shared across this industry with journalists, with, with um, I mean, fans, coaches, administrators, everybody at Clay Helton being retained. Um, I, I think it, it has people just, it has people shocked. And so we heard a lot about it last week. That's why we've kind of been 
fixated on it. But I think the problem, if you could, if you could boil it down, is that USC already thinks incorrectly that they have that apparatus in place. Right, like they, they think they can just flip the switch and it's like turnkey. It's it, we're ready. To go. They think they think they think they are ready to to house an Urban Meyer national championship dynasty at USC. But when an Urban Meyer comes to interview, and I'm not saying Urban Meyer, it's a hypothetical. When an Urban Meyer comes to interview and you lay the cards on the table of what you do and don't have, and Urban Meyer's got his binder of what he needs, and it doesn't yes. match up, that's your problem. Correct, and that's where Heritage Hall will revert back to its incestuous ways, and that will be what stymies the growth, development, and success of USC football. So it is a Heritage Hall problem. I do think that in their, you know, with their their rose-colored glasses, they believe. Sorry for the bullpen. They believe that um, USC is not going to the Rose Bowl anytime soon. Zing. They believe that everything is in place. They just need the right coach, or maybe they have the right coach. And they're, I mean, they're, they're. You have to understand this. People legitimately believe in in Clay Helton there. Okay, I know there's a faction. Possibly, I, I would, I would, uh, I believe. I know. I feel. I feel, and I believe. I don't know for sure that you know the new AD Mike Bond from Cincinnati is not on that side. He's he's prepping and waiting and, and checking things out. I think it would be wise for the man to build a consensus and not do it in his first year anyway, but have a have a 100% backing on making that change after the 2020 season. But there are people that believe in him. There are people that look, it's it's a fucked up place. I don't know how many more times we can say this. People <laughs> keep asking us about it. USC is unique in so many negative ways now as it applies to major big time college football success among the programs that actually have the capacity and the potential. And it needs an enema. They just watched a coach that they laughed at and thought would not be representative of their program in the right non-football ways win a national championship in Nick Saban's own division, okay? And I don't know if that registered with them. So that's that's it, the it probably registered state. because their biggest booster was sitting in Coach O's box. It you probably registered think, because Marcus Allen was on the sideline of the Al- at the Alabama game, I believe, wearing yeah. an LSU T-shirt. Yeah. No, I mean, look, everything that he's done—the John Robinson special advisor, all that stuff—that I think is done to USC's benefit ultimately. If you're a Trojan fan and you noticed all that, I think it's good. I think it's good because it hopefully it will wake up some of the country club and make them figure out what they lost, what they could have had. I'm gonna flat out tell you, because there's already people doubting Ed Orgeron for next year. Ed Orgeron would have won a national championship at USC. I fully believe that. I fully believe that. Well, I don't know if it would have happened in 2020, but like or or you know, the 2019 season. But I think he's absolutely capable of strangling the West Coast in recruiting. But and I do mean he, strangling. But would he have been capable of strangling Heritage Hall because he's not one of their own? No, because they wouldn't even let him in the door to begin with, which is why. No, I was, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, let's say, let's say they did give him the job. Let's say they did give him mm-hmm. the job. Would mm-hmm. Would Ed have been able to get Heritage Hall in line in twenty? What was it? Two thousand ten? Oh, whatever man. year that was? Twenty twelve. Um, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I I think that um. You know, Ed Orgeron did not have a consensus amount of support in the wake of his hire, the removal of the interim tag. And I think one of the unsung heroes of, of LSU's national championship run is the, is Joe Oliva. 
Joe Oliva stood in front of the pickets while Ed Orgeron got his shit in order and, and undid a lot of problems from the last miles era and, and also worked through, you know, his biggest faux pas as head coach of LSU was hiring Matt Canada, which who at the time was a highly sought after coordinator. And I, I will say I, that was the right call at the time at the for time, what yes. LSU needed. Oh, absolutely. It was a huge coup at the time. Um, but Joe Oliva kind of stood in front of that and buffered out a lot of the LSU principles, which is I'm going to do this for at least the entirety of this offseason, if not for the next five years of my life, because I spend so much time around Louisianans. 90% of the people at LSU had major reservations about Ed Orgeron as head coach when he when that interim tag was removed and they felt like they lost out on Tom Herman or Jimbo or whoever, right? 90%. 90 one more time nine zero percent now that's fine to have doubts i have doubts about all of the coaches from every team i cheer for okay but it was of that 90 percent, a strong majority of it were not conspiring against him actively against him but believed he, he was not capable it wasn't a wait and see attitude it was a oh god joe what have you done and, and i think the master stroke of oliva was standing there and basically becoming the sacrificial lamb and allowing Orgeron enough time to build, make one mistake on the offensive side of the ball, but otherwise recruit his ass off. Um, it definitely helped getting less miles off the books. So I don't know if Heritage Hall would have done that. I think the right AD would have had to have stepped in, stepped in and defended Orgeron and given him the space to cook. And I don't think that that was going to be Hayden or Swan. Do you? Nope. All right. We got to get out of here. Here's why. We have a staff meeting. Look, we asked Ryan Nanny, we're like, hey, we're recording the show right now. We're trying to get some stuff set up before the show to record, you know, and he's like, no, damn it. I don't care. I don't care about PAP and shutdown forecast is better. You have to record in this small amount of time this week. So here's what I need you to do. If you're frustrated right now, let's say you're in like the city of Houston and you still have 15 minutes left on your commute and you have no PAPN at Celebrity Hot Tub and let him know how he has negatively affected your week. 